Good morning, everybody. Matthew chapter 7. Grab your Bibles and let's get ready to dig in this morning. Grab your notes out of your bulletin so you can follow along or maybe fire up that Journey app. We are so glad that you're here. For those of you watching online, thanks for being with us this morning. We are starting our summer of ministry. We're so excited to start our summer of ministry. We started last night with the first of eight weeks that we will have a Saturday evening service as so many people are coming back before we're able to move into our building returning from COVID and just from things in life that have kept them away, new people coming. We're so glad to have so many people coming. But as we start a summer of ministry, we're going to need some of your help. So inside your bulletin, you're going to see a little card that says Team JCI. That's our volunteer family at Journey. And as we get going in our summer ministry, this, was, this card primarily was for the people coming to our Saturday night service, except for one blank. I'm looking for about 25 people who come on Sunday morning who would be willing twice this summer to serve in our kids' ministry because since we only have one service on Saturday night, if I'm a mom and dad and I serve with my infant toddler or or my elementary school student, I have to miss church. Um, So if you would be willing two times this summer to come and serve for someone else's kids, to disciple them, and then come on Sunday morning, that would be huge in helping our kids team. If you'd be willing to do that, you can fill this out and just check that family ministry spot. We're just asking people to help us get through the summer. So many people traveling and coming and going, that would be a huge help. If you're more technical, you can just text the word journey team to 474747. It'll send you this card. You can fill it out, send it back. That would be a huge help. You could give us three hours loving children and helping them understand who Jesus is this summer on a Saturday night and then come to church on Sunday morning, that would be huge. Because it's the first Sunday of summer, we're also given an update on our building. For those of you who are brand new, you're like, what, is, what are you building? What's going on? When is it going to be here? 18 months ago, we finished what we call our Difference Maker kind of chasing the vision campaign. We laid out a 25-year vision as a church, and we showed how a building could be a part of helping build the foundation for all the future ministry we believe God is calling us to. So I just wanted to give a little update on where we are on that. Do you want the good news or the good news? Um, Because most of the news on this building project has been really good. Actually, all of it's been really good. Um, The building ended up coming in at $16.2 million when when we finally started building. The first estimate was $20 million. And they told us if we would have waited at least six months to start building, it probably would have been closer to 20. But because our elders and our finance team had the guts to say, we know we're in a pandemic, but we're going to trust God, start. We think we saved three or four million dollars just starting when we started. We raised through this campaign $10.7 million in pledges against the cost of this building that we've just been trusting God for. As of right now, 92% of everyone who has pledged has been giving towards their pledges, and 83% of the money is already in. So like we are, we are way down the field for finishing this campaign. But for those of you who are doing math, you're thinking, Christian, 17%, $10.7 million, still $1.8 million. Like we're, we're on the last lap, but it's a long one. It's going to be a long, grueling lap between now and the end of the year to see the rest of that come in. So if you are someone who's made a pledge or you've been giving towards the building this month, you'll get a letter in the mail and kind of your pledge statement, just a little more details on the building and, and basically something saying, here's what you pledge, here's what you've given, here's what we're still praying you can give. We'll be praying for you as you give towards that. We are not at the point yet where we feel like we need to say, hey, we might need more because we may come short. We have hundreds of new people who have become a part of our church since this campaign has ended. On Sunday, September 26th, 
We think we'll be 90 days out. We will let you know if we need more help. And if we do, we'll just pray that some of you who have been thinking, I want to give but don't know how, will be ready to kind of engage in that process. Say, when is it going to be done? When will we be in? Let me give you some dates that we're aiming for. Let me take the roof off the new building so you can kind of see what we've, what we've got going on. The blue is where we're sitting today. This is our current church as we have it. We're, we're going to finish the building in two sections. The first section to be done will be our family ministry section of the building, which is all these classrooms in the back, this huge auditorium in the back. The back parking lot is, has been paved this week. The ring around the property is now all paved. You won't get your car dirty if you drive around the property exiting today. We think this section of the building, this patio, this side, we think all that could be available for use by Back to School Sunday on August 29th. So we are really praying that as your kids go back to school, our entire elementary school ministry is going to be able to move into a new space. And our church, we think, will have extra space to be together, to stay together, instead of splitting up in two campuses this fall if we get done by August 29th. We're hoping at this point that our atrium and kind of all of this foyer space that allows our church to gather and be together will be done in November. We don't think the auditorium will be done until December. But right now, if everything stays on track... Right now, six months from this weekend, we are looking to have our first services in our new building, and then our official kind of grand opening will be Christmas week. So start thinking about who you can invite at Christmas to see our new stuff. Our first plan for Christmas is a huge open house family ministry style. We're going to bring in Santa. We're going to bring in um, the Grinch. We're going to bring in a snowman. We're going to have a huge family event where we're going to invite kids and families from the community in to celebrate Christmas, make Christmas cookies, take pictures, just kind of see our new building and say, hey, if you don't have a church, we'd love to be your church home. Join us for services in uh, Christmas week. So that's what we're planning to do right now. That's what we're really excited about. Keep praying. We got a long way to go but we are way closer to the finish line than the starting line. I will tell you in July, probably the date of the family ministry building. They said, give us another month and we should be much clearer on that. And then September 26 will be our next big kind of, we got 90 days to go. Here's where we need your help. But for those of you who've been praying, who've been giving, who've been serving, who've been helping, thank you. We are much closer to the finish line than we were 18 months ago. And I don't know about you, but I cannot wait to be over there in the new ministry space, doing the ministry that God has called us to do. All right. Today you're here not to hear about the building, but to hear about Jesus. Matthew chapter seven, brand new series, Jesus and spiritual foundations. Here's the premise of this series. We want to learn the next six weeks, the foundational beliefs that followers of Jesus embrace as their spiritual worldview. What is the unique thing that followers of Jesus believe about the world? Everyone say five, six, seven. So Matthew 5, 6, 7 is the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' longest recorded sermon. Matthew 5 is about what we are supposed to become. We're supposed to become more like Jesus. Matthew 6 is how we behave to make that happen. We learn to pray and we learn to fast and we learn to give and we learn to trust and we learn to have moments of meditation and reflection. Matthew 7 is about what we believe. So Matthew 5, all about becoming like Jesus. Matthew 6, all about behaving in a way that will build inner strength so we can be like Jesus. Matthew 7, the things that we believe that shape our worldview. So we'll look at six kind of building blocks that if you were a follower of Jesus, you have to have in place because at the end of Matthew 7, Jesus says storms are coming. And if your house is not built on a really good foundation, it's going to fall down. So when we get to the end, we'll figure out if our house is going to weather the storm. We're going to start with brick number one today. Here are the goals of today's messages. Number one, to find out whether our spiritual worldview acts mostly as a window or a mirror. I'm going to give you my experience as the pastor of our church over the past decade to tell you how I think we could move forward in this area. And then number two, to see the spiritual difference between specs 
and planks. It's a big one. I think when you clearly understand the difference between specks and planks, you'll look at your life, Jesus, and the world differently and better, more like you are supposed to spiritually. Before we ever dig into Scripture at our church, we always pray and ask God to open our hearts and get us ready. So would you just bow your heads with me here? For those of you listening online, pause for a minute, take a deep breath. Two prayers. One, a prayer of confession. If there's anything that would keep you from hearing from God today, just tell God where you're struggling. Maybe a sin you committed that you haven't confessed, ask God to forgive you. Maybe a commitment you made you didn't follow up on, ask God to forgive you. Maybe someone's hurt you. You're holding a grudge that's making your heart hard. Just ask God to help you. And then ask God to speak to you. Literally pray these words, speak to me today, God. God, we want to hear from you today because as your followers, we want to develop a set of beliefs that give us a spiritual worldview that grounds our faith in Jesus and then his gospel. So Jesus, use the next six weeks to make that happen. Help us to know you better and to have a life that withstands the storms. It's our prayer and we ask it in Jesus' name and everyone said, amen. Matthew chapter seven, verses one through six. Here we go. Do not judge or you too will be judged for in the same way you judge others, you'll be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Don't give to dogs what is sacred. Don't throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they might trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Turn to someone next to you and say, dogs and pigs. So this text mentions dogs and pigs. It also mentions judgment. But here's my problem today. I always preach too long, they tell me. Christian, you always preach too long. And I never say everything that I want to say. So because of that, we have developed some resources at our church that allow me to say more. One of them is what we call our Activate podcast. This allows me to say everything about the message that I wanted to say but didn't have time to on Sunday. Sometimes the Activate podcast is an entirely different message. That is the case this week because I don't have time for everything this week. So this week on Activate, I'm going to talk about judgment dogs and pigs. I'm going to answer the question, does this text mean Christians are never supposed to judge anyone about anything? I'm going to answer the questions, what does it mean not to give sacred things to dogs? I'm going to answer the questions, what does it mean uh, don't throw pearls to pigs? Don't have time to tell you this morning. I talk about it on Activate this week. Today we're trying to answer two questions so we can begin to build a spiritual foundation. Question number one, mirrors or windows? Mirrors or windows? One of today's goals is to help us see practically, do we, do we use our spiritual worldview primarily as a window through which we see the world or a mirror through which we see ourselves? Now, to answer this question, we've got we to go back to the beginning of the message. Remember, it started in Matthew chapter 5, 25 messages ago. The underlying message of the entire Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, 7, is that we've got to raise the standard of righteousness. The technical theological definition of righteousness is right standing with God. So I, I would ask you, are you right with God? Like, as, like, do you feel like you're right with God? If you, by the end of the day, were standing before God, you good? If you don't know the answer to that question, hopefully you're saying, how do I do that? I mean, if there is a God and one day I am going to stand before him, I would like that meeting to go well. How, how, how do I get right with God? It's a great question. That is the right question. Jesus is saying, 
You've got to raise the standard of what you think it takes to be right with God. He's been giving us two options the last 25 weeks. Option number one, I am the standard of righteousness. This is what the Pharisees and the teachers of the law believed. My life is good enough for God. The way I live earns me my way into heaven. It's what they believed. But Jesus said, nope, not good enough. Matthew 5, 20, I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you won't enter the kingdom of heaven. So like, you can't be good enough. Everybody say, I am. That is never the answer to the question, who is responsible to make you right with God? You say, I am. No, you're not. No, no, no. You cannot be responsible to be right with God. His standard is too high. You say, well, I'm not responsible to make me right with God, who is responsible? Option two, Jesus is. Jesus is the standard of righteousness. In Matthew 5, 48, God says, Jesus says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And you say, I cannot meet that standard to be as perfect as Jesus. And God says, exactly, that's why you have to rely on him. Everybody say, Jesus is. That is always the answer to the question, who is responsible to make me right with God? Jesus is, Always. Who's responsible to make me right with God? I am is never the answer. You are never, like you can't be good enough for God. But Jesus was as perfect as God needed him to be. And he says, when your imperfection makes you not right with God, I can bridge that gap if you will put your faith and if you'll put your trust in me. So what we've been learning is we've got to raise the standard of righteousness. We have to understand we can't connect to God without Jesus. We all need Jesus deeply. So Jesus becomes the standard of righteousness that we need to connect with God. So here's the first hint of the spiritual worldviews we'll be unpacking this summer. Seeing your need for Jesus is the first step of having a proper spiritual worldview. You cannot be right with God without Jesus. You need Jesus. You need a relationship with Jesus. You need to walk with Jesus. So we've been talking about that the last 25 weeks in Matthew 5 and Matthew 6. Now we're in Matthew 7, learning some foundational beliefs. Here's the first two verses. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it'll be measured to you. So we're going to pull out these yellow verses. We're going to highlight them, and we're going to see a mistake that the Pharisees made. Jesus said, the same way you judge others, and the measure you use is actually the way God judges, and it's the measure he uses. But you've stolen it, and you've, misapp- you've misapplied it to everyone in life. You say, what do you mean the same way you judge others, the measure you use? The way the Pharisees judged others, the measure they used is they looked at the world and said, you don't measure up to me, you're not good enough. Because they were the standard of their own righteousness. So they looked at everyone who was like them and they said, you're not good enough. And God said, dummies, that's my standard. That's my measure. The way that God judges and measures is he looks at the world and says, you don't measure up to me. You're not good enough. And God says, you have stolen my measurement. You have stolen my judgment. The way that you judge, the way that you measure is the way that I judge and measure. And you don't measure up. So you have a problem because you need Jesus. In Luke chapter 18, in verses 11 through 14, Jesus painted a picture of two people at church. Maybe these two people are at our church today. And he said, there was a Pharisee. And he kind of sat on the front row, close to the front. Not that any of you are Pharisees. He was just close to the front that day. And he said he was praying and he was praying loudly. And his prayer was this, as he looked across everyone else who was at the temple, he said, thank you, God, that I am not like them. There are some Christians that have been praying that prayer in 2021. When you get on the Facebook and you turn on the news and you look around, you're like, Lord God Almighty, the world has lost its mind. Thank you, God, 
that I am not like them. Jesus said, when you walk into a religious service, there's going to be somebody praying loudly, thank you, God, that I am not like them. But he said, over in the corner, he said, there was a sinner, and he was hardly praying out loud, but because I'm God, I hear all prayers. I heard him whisper. And the Pharisee said, thank you, God, that I'm not like them. The sinner said, forgive me, God, that I'm not like you. I want you to pray like the second guy. I want you to pray like the second guy. I don't want you praying, thank you, God, that I'm not like all these crazy people. I want you to keep your eyes in heaven, and I want you to pray, forgive me, God that I'm not like Jesus yet. And I, man, I love people who need Jesus, and I want to reach people. I want to minister to them. I want to learn how to do that. But God, in my relationship with you, it's all about me and you. My eyes are in heaven, and my heart is not enough like Jesus. So Jesus asks this question, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Really interesting word in the Greek language, pay attention. It conveys the idea of continuous and serious meditation about something. And listen to what Jesus said. Jesus says, My followers are not doing this about their sin. My followers are not continually thinking about things in their life that need to become more like Jesus because they're doing this to everyone else. Their worldview is a window. They're thinking about how everyone else is falling short of Jesus, but their worldview is not a mirror. They're not constantly trying to figure out What is the next thing that my soul needs so that I can be more like Jesus? Be honest. Our daily reflection this week on Monday are those verses in Luke that I read about the two men praying. When you reflect on your Christianity, are you more likely to be glad that you're better than the sinful world or sad that you're not yet like Jesus? What grieves your heart more? What's going on on TV? Or what's still going on in your heart after all these years spiritually? What upsets you more? I receive dozens, dozens and dozens of messages a week from people that were leading spiritually, that are leading other people spiritually. And 99% of them are about them and they. Christian, look at this article. Can you believe them? Christian, look at this post. Can you believe them? Christian, look at what they said now. Can you believe them? Very rarely will anyone text me a Bible verse and say, I read this this morning and it exposed my soul and I'm so far from where I need to be. We pay attention to where the world is missing. And our church wants me to know so I can remind everyone all the time. But no one is saying, I read this verse, please remind the church that I felt in this area. It's like, I haven't gotten one of those. So that's why I was shocked two weeks ago after a Monday morning prayer. One of the men in our church is a good friend of mine, called me, actually texted me and said, I need five minutes of your time today. I caught up with him after lunch, said, hey, what's up? And he just said, I need you to know, um, just because I feel like I had to tell someone. And he told me what was said in a Monday morning prayer devotional. And he said, I have been, uh, the last six months, I've been unfaithful. I've been uncommitted. I've not kept my word. And he kind of went down this list and he said, I just need you to know that I'm struggling, but God has told me to get back engaged. I just want you to pray for me. Like he didn't call to tell on the world. He said, I've been paying attention to my soul and I got some work to do. And I said, man, I'll pray for you. And it's so refreshing to hear someone who's paying attention to their own soul first. So how about you? Mirror or window. When you look at the spiritual worldview of sin, mirror or window, you say, well, what does sin mean? If you're pretty new to church, let's unpack it technically. The word sin in the Bible is a word that translates really two things, missing the mark 
of God's perfection. It's a picture of a bullseye that's so small that you can't hit it, the life of Jesus, or offending the standard of God's holiness. It's not doing what you should do or constantly doing what you shouldn't do. The Apostle Paul in Romans 7 said it this way, I'm sick of not doing what I know I shouldn't do, and I'm sick of never doing what I know I should do. Like I feel like I'm cursed. I've got this, I've got this sin in me. Now, if you went to Bible college and you signed up for a theology class, Theology 101, at least one class, probably a week of the class, would teach on homartiology. You would take the study of sin, homartiology 101. It's the study of sin. Homartia is a Greek word that was a word used of actors and actresses in plays. It was, it was the word used of the fatal flaw that led to their destruction. So homartia was the moment they made the wrong decision or it was the character flaw in them that you knew was just going to doom them. That's how the Bible defines sin. That decision you make or that thing you do that leads to your total destruction. If you took homartiology one-on-one, they would teach you about three aspects of sin. These are kind of the foundational aspects of sin. Number one, they would teach you about original sin. They would teach you that Adam, the guy back in the Garden of Eden who sinned, that his sin caused you to be born broken with a sin nature. Romans 5 unpacks this a little more technically. I think David says it better in Psalm 51. David has just had an affair with a friend's wife. He was married. They were married. And he was found out, and he went to God, and he was like, God, I don't know why I do stuff like this. I know I'm not supposed to do stuff like this. I didn't want to do stuff like this, but I do. So David says, I was born in sin. And then he says, he backs up. He says, I was born in sin. And then he said, Actually, I've been sinful from conception. He basically said, the moment my soul was formed, I had this thing in me that was broken spiritually. Because humanity is broken spiritually. That's what's called original sin. Those of you who have children know that this is true. Kids learn to say no before they learn to say please. They learn to say mine before they learn to say thank you. You say, who taught them that? Satan. Satan taught them that. They're all born with like just this little bit of like, like what is wrong with my children? Why are they act like that? That's that's like why Christians have to be followers of Jesus and not Lady Gaga. Because the Christian world is, is slowly buying into this. Well, if you're born that way, I guess everything's okay. Listen, we were all born pooping our diapers. Thank God that changed at some point in your past. Hopefully, Lord willing, we can help you. If not, like, like, the, Christ, the Christian worldview doesn't say I am the way that I was born. The Christian worldview says I was born with a sin nature that has made me broken. And I spend my whole life doing things that I shouldn't do and not doing things that I should do because I've got like this sin in my life. Now, the original sin causes me to commit sins of commission. When you read the word commission, think about commit. My sin nature causes me to commit sins that break things. In Galatians 5, 19 through 21, we see a list of like, here's... Here's the general areas most people are broken in. And then there's sins of omission. Like, think of the word omit. Things you're supposed to do, but you don't. My sin nature keeps me from doing everything good that Jesus would do if he were in my shoes. James 4.17 says, if you know the good you're supposed to do and you don't do it, that for you is sin. Now listen, the whole world believes this. They don't believe it biblically. Not all of them agree with everything morally. But the whole world believes this philosophical worldview. Let me prove it to you. Your atheist friends. Your atheist friends who believe there is no God, there is no truth, there is no standard of righteousness, 
your atheist friends who say, no one can tell anyone else how to live their life because everyone gets to choose, will then say, but you need to quit using straws because you're killing the turtles, right? Which is a struggle for me because I love turtles, but I also like straws. I have a fake tooth and it hurts if I like drink ice like directly on my teeth. So it's like, do I kill the turtles? Do I use a straw? Like, what do I do like that? You know, I need some help there. But look at the worldview. The worldview is this. My eyes are telling me something is broken. There's too much plastic in the ocean. <laughs> I probably need a non-single-use bottle when I give this illustration, Michelle. Um, like the whole world, there's too much plastic in the ocean. Too much plastic in the ocean. Somebody caused that. We can do better, but we got to tell people because naturally people just serve themselves and they don't care about other people. So we got to tell them. And those people don't even believe there's a God or truth, but they see this. Your friends who will say you cannot assign a gender to children because everyone, in a free world, everyone gets to choose everything about everything. That's the only thing that's fair. We'll then turn around and tell you, but you cannot choose what fuels your truck because in 30 years, you're going to like kill the whole earth if you, like if you do that. Like you get it? See it? Our eyes see this. Things are broken. We can do better. But we got to tell people because naturally people are selfish and they're just going to live for themselves. Like the whole world believes this. You believe this for the world. The question is, do you believe it for yourself? Is this true of you before it's true of the world? Is your worldview a mirror or is it a window? Because one of the first steps to really see in Jesus is seeing sin. We'll never see a need for a savior if we don't see ourselves as sinful. But if we see, left to myself, I'm going to kill the turtles, I'm going to ruin the, the environment, and I'm probably not going to treat my wife and kids well or friends well, I'm going to cheat on Ted. Like, left to myself, I'm going to break things. There must be something broken in me. I know there's a better way to do things, but I don't always do those. Like, until you see I'm broken... And I need a help. Jesus doesn't appeal to you. But when you see yourself, when the gospel, when our spiritual worldview becomes a mirror rather than a window, when we see Jesus first for ourselves, we then are in a, in a position to maybe help other people see him too. So he, here's what's real. The whole world needs Jesus, but I need him first. Before I can take him to the whole world, I need him first to deal with my stuff. So mirror or window. So a really good question as you begin to build a spiritual foundation. The second question I think is just as good, specks or planks? Specks or planks? Matthew chapter 7 says, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Specks or planks? Specks or planks? Memorial Day's here, thank God, in Kansas City, specifically kind of on the Missouri side, lake season is upon us. If you were going to build a boat to go on a lake and you had two materials, specks or planks, which one would you choose to build a boat? Planks, of course, planks. So we read thousands of years ago that God built a boat. God had a guy build a boat. His name was Noah. Took huge planks to build this boat because a flood was going to come. Because God judges people, judgment was coming, but with judgment comes grace, comes salvation. So God had Noah build a boat. He needed planks, not specks. 
And as he built this boat, God invited the whole world to come onto his ark to receive salvation from the flood if they wanted to. That boat and that situation was just a picture later of a savior named Jesus who would come and offer fallen humanity who was going to be judged an opportunity at salvation again. But watch this parallel. Specks or planks, only one's large enough to crucify somebody on. Planks. And watch this. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Who has the planks, us or them? I'll ask again. You can answer out loud. Who has the planks, us or them? Us. See, Jesus was crucified on planks, not specks. And they came from our sin. They came from our life. See, for us to get right with God, we had to pull the sin out of our own life that Jesus called a plank. And we had to put the nails in the hands and the nails in the feet, and we had to crucify the Savior to it. It's the only way that we can be right with God. Specks are planks. It always takes planks to be right with God. And you would think, for those of you who've been walking with Jesus a little while, you would think you would need the cross most at your moment of salvation. Like the moment you become a follower of Jesus, you'd be like, that's the moment I clung to the cross the tightest and the longest because I, I, I knew I could not connect to God without Jesus and his forgiveness and his grace. But that's not actually accurate. You would think the longer I walk with Jesus, the less I need the cross. The closer I grow to Jesus, the less I need the cross. But actually the opposite is true. The longer you walk with Jesus, the more you realize his perfection and his glory and his beauty. The longer you walk with Jesus, the deeper you grow in your faith, the more you depend on the cross every moment of every day. At least that's the way it was in the life of a man named Paul, who started churches 2,000 years ago all over kind of the Mediterranean basin. He was commissioned by Jesus to basically write to followers of Jesus what it meant to connect to God through Jesus. So God commissioned him to write 13 books, and he said, I'll bless these books. I'll inspire these books. They'll become divine so that people can know how to connect to me. And three times in those 13 books, the apostle Paul compared himself to humanity. We know because of the chronology of the books, which ones were written first, which ones were written last. We know that the first book Paul wrote was probably Galatians in very early, kind of A.D. 60, maybe even bumping into the A.D. 50s. We know that the last book that the Apostle Paul wrote was Second Timothy while he was in prison awaiting to die. So we know how Paul's theology was shaped and developed as he walked with Jesus. The first time he compared himself to the world, he said to the church in Corinth, I'm the least of the apostles. I don't even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But he basically said, like, there's the 12 apostles, then there's the rest of the Christians. And I'm kind of like right in between. Like, I'm not on the varsity, but I'm really good at JV and I sit varsity. Like, I, like I'm not one of them, but I'm better than most other Christians. Like, I'm pretty high up there. That's the first time he compared himself to the world. That's where he said he was. Kind of got these guys, then you got everybody else. And I'm kind of, I'm almost one of these guys. Later, as his walk with Jesus would develop, he would tell the church in Ephesus, I'm less than the least of all the Lord's people, but grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. He now saw the world in two groups, not apostles and Christians, but Christians and non-Christians. And he said, of all the Christians and non-Christians, like I'm probably the last Christian, but I'm way better than all the non-Christians. Like, I killed Christians, so that probably puts me at the bottom of the list. But in a world of, like, Christians and non-Christians, I'm at the very bottom of the list of Christians, but that puts me way above all the non-Christians. But then, in his prison cell waiting to die, 
As he thought about how much he needed Jesus, he told Timothy this. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I'm the worst. Paul said, when I look at the whole world, there's really two groups of people. There's everyone else and me, and nobody, nobody deserves judgment for sin more than me. But my sin became planks that my Savior was crucified on. And I am clinging to that. I am clinging to the cross and I am living from the cross, not on my first day of Christianity, but on my last day of Christianity. I am living from the cross. I am clinging to the cross because my sin has produced a lumberyard of planks. And Jesus has taken every single one of them. Now, you and I are not just here because we want to connect to Jesus, we want the world to connect to Jesus. But in order to see clearly enough to help anyone else, our spiritual worldview has to be a mirror that allows us to see our sin first. Jesus says, first, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. When we see what it takes to see clearly, Jesus says, when the measurement of judgment that you use is the cross that Jesus died on for you, you finally begin to see clearly enough to help other people. Say, Christian, the world needs Jesus. They sure do. But you first. And as your soul walks with Jesus every day and you realize the things you should have done that you didn't, created a plank that you had to give to Jesus to be crucified on. And the things that you shouldn't have done that you did created a plank that you had to continue to turn over to Jesus. Jesus said, when you continue to turn your planks into crosses, I mean, your eyes will be wide open to see the world like I see them, to love the world like I love them, you might have a real chance of showing them who I am. This summer, we'll build six spiritual foundations that'll give us a house that'll stand in the storms. The first is this. My sin must be judged, and my sin caused Jesus to die on the cross. If this is not the starting point of your faith, the ending point of your faith will not be seen clearly enough to help anybody else. The starting point of a faith that has its foundations in Jesus and his gospel is my sin has to be judged because God is the standard, and I ain't him. My sin has to be judged, and it was judged by Jesus on the cross, so I choose to live from the cross. Seeing this foundation clearly allows us to do a couple things. One, it allows us to have tremendous gratitude for Jesus. Our posture towards him is always one of gratitude, and when we see what Jesus has done for us, our posture towards the world is always one of grace. So gratitude for the cross of Jesus leads to grace in the lives of others. And all of a sudden, how we see them Changes. We're not disgusted anymore with the sin of others. We're disgusted with the sin of our else, ourselves, and we're motivated by the mission of Jesus. And just the foundation we have of what it will take to save the world, the cross of Jesus, changes everything. Everybody say, I am. It's never the answer to the question, who's responsible to make you right with God? It's never you. Everybody say, Jesus is. It's always the answer to the question, who's responsible to make you right with God? Because if you will get to the cross, cling to the cross, live from the cross, the gratitude in your heart and the grace in your daily life gives us a shot to see ourselves like Jesus sees us, but to have a window to see the world like Jesus sees them. And maybe if we do that well, to allow the world to see Jesus just like we see him. What has God said to you today? What do you need to do? about that as you process this information. 
Would you pray with me as we consider those questions? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed all over the auditorium for those watching and listening online. What's your immediate next step today? What did you hear that impacted your soul? I'm not good enough to know what you need and to say it, but God is. So if you heard something that was for you, that was from God, what are you going to do about it? Is your next step gratitude? I've forgotten what Jesus has done for me. I live mad at the world rather than having gratitude towards God. Is it grace? I don't know that we've ever lived in a generation where Christians accept more grace for their sin but give others less grace for theirs than the one we're living in. Maybe living from the cross will give you grace. Is it clarity? Realizing why the world keeps breaking things and why people have to help them? From marriages to family to relationships to turtles in the ozone layer, we break things. We need someone to help us. Is it maybe the ministry that God is calling you to in the life of a friend who's hurting? Or possibly, you're here today and your entire life you've been trying to keep a scorecard to make sure your good outweighs your bad so maybe you can present yourself to God one day and say, I did more good than bad. You cannot earn your way to heaven. But you can acknowledge, I'm broken, I break things. I don't always fix things. I sin. I'm sorry. And I need Jesus. Jesus loves you. He lived the perfect life that you could not. He died on the cross so you would not have to. Also, you could be close to God and righteous, right with God. And if you've never cried out to Jesus and said, I need you to connect to God, today you can do that. I'll pray a prayer. You can pray after me. You don't have to pray it out loud. You don't even have to move your mouth. You can pray from your heart to heaven. If you say, I've been trying my whole life to be good enough for God can't do it. You need Jesus. Would you receive him today? Just pray this from your heart to heaven. Just pray something like this. Jesus, I need you. Just repeat after me. Jesus, I need you. Forgive me for my sin. Cleanse me from my past. Heal me of my hurt. Lead me in my future. Today, I surrender my life to your leadership. I ask for your salvation. I commit to follow you. If you're here today and you just prayed with me in just a second, Pastor Ryan will be up here and he'll let you know how you can tell us of the spiritual decision you made so we can pray for you, maybe even pray with you, give you some information about what it looks like to begin to live life as a Jesus follower. But for those of you in the room who are Christians, what'd you hear today? How did it hit your heart? It was a... It was a heavy message to preach, probably a heavy message to hear, but it was not a message that Jesus intended to bring condemnation. It was a message that Jesus intended to bring freedom because Jesus knows the planks of our sin and brokenness are heavy and he's offering to take them for us. Today's a message about freedom, living at the cross, from the cross, in view of the cross, with gratitude for the cross, with grace to others because of the cross, with clear eyes towards a world that Jesus sees from the cross. Today's message was meant to bring freedom and impact to your life. So Jesus, we receive it. And we thank you for teaching us things we need to know. 
Because Lord, we know, we know we're broken. Now we understand how to be made whole. Thank you for giving us that information. Let us lean into Jesus and live from the cross as we seek to impact for you. That's our prayer. And Lord, we ask it today in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.